Shopamaniacs, you are listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave, a little bit sick, and a literal chainsaws in the backyard, Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris. Oh, I'm sorry, Dave, but I... Yeah, so I should say, I'll probably be muted occasionally, some hot mic uh, mutes, because uh, I have people trimming my trees, and, uh, you know... yeah. Just the way times work, it had to be during the recording. So yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's, it's all I can do not to stand there and watch them. You know, I, oh, like I, the, I am, but I'm also like terrified because it's just these big branches coming down. Oh, <laughs> I've yeah. already lost a lot of big branches, so this is very interesting. Anyway, that's me. Out of sight, out of mind. Uh, Chris, who do we got in the show today? <laughs> yeah, we are. We are joined in the in the virtual studios today by Maggie Appleton. Hey, Maggie, how are you? Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, wonderful. Longtime fan, owner of a spectacular website. I assume that's 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 how I know you in some way. You know, once in a while, I'll drop a real banger blog post and it goes around goes around like crazy. That's happened recently. You're a uh, 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 getting involved and have been involved for a number of years now in in kind of the larger world of AI, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'm specifically in the language model world, I'll say. I think we're putting a lot of big things under this umbrella of AI. And I'll say I know nothing about like generative images or any of the like mm. very tricky moral issues of like artist rights and generative images, which is also a, a good hot topic on Twitter today. Um, I am very firmly in the like chat gpt like words, just generating words, not necessarily solving cancer with neural nets or any of that kind of stuff. Just the words bit. <laughs> just the words bit. Okay. So, so when you say language model, mm. did you omit large on purpose? Is that, because oh. <laughs> I feel like that's used a lot. LLM? I don't yeah. know. Just... Uh, the large versions are the most popular versions. Those are definitely the favorites. Um, but you can have small language models that... Um, are trained mm. on less data and kind of just do very small specific things and aren't just like big giant reasoning engines the way something like chat GPT is. So language model is maybe the larger category and then large is one of the, the subsets. Oh, see, God darn, I'm learning stuff already. This is <laughs> Sorry, great. too early. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> um, and work is ought. Uh, so I work for a company that uh, used to be called Ort, but has just been renamed Illicit because we hmm. made one product that was called Illicit and then Ort was the larger research lab that created this product. So we decided to sort of simplify things, stop confusing everyone and just call ourselves Illicit. And so that's now the it. official name. <laughs> Everybody's favorite, you you base camped, I guess. Remember yeah, we did. Thing? Yeah, we did. <laughs> Cool. All right. So, so that's that. Maybe actually, can we start there a little bit, just so we know what what it is, and thus, you know, stuff that you think about. What is Illicit then? Absolutely. Um, so, I joined Illicit um, previously, Ort, about a year ago. Uh, although I knew about them um, beforehand and was a user and fan, um, we um, use large language models and small language models to automate um, a process called literature review, which is something that researchers and academics and like large organizations like uh, governments and think tanks and NGOs do, um, where if you want to run a scientific experiment um, or like um, implement a policy in government, you first have to read all the scientific literature that exists on the topic that you're interested in. So if you're like, Mm, should we go give like iron supplements to like every 
child in a country, you first have to go read every single thing science has ever written on iron supplements, which can be tens of thousands of papers. Wow. The way this usually works is like they pay a bunch of grad students pennies, um, although not pennies, maybe like, you know, <laughs> a couple dollars an hour to sit and read PDFs and extract a whole bunch of data into like a really large spreadsheet for months on end. It's like super boring, hard work that humans currently do. And this is something that language models are actually really well suited for. They're very good at reading large volumes of text and extracting information from us for us and summarizing it. Um, so our product does this. It just um, allows you to find papers, upload papers, and then do tons of data extraction over them, um, specifically for the literature review process. Interesting. So immediately, perhaps, maybe rightfully so, the mind is like, ooh, but doesn't, don't they lie and stuff sometimes? Mm. Like if you're talking about if I should give iron to kids or not, shouldn't maybe I read that paper? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a very, very valid concern. Um, so um, one reason that the lab picked this problem to work on is because it requires really high accuracy rates. Um, mm. And the lab is really interested in AI safety and alignment in a broader sense. So one of the research goals is to figure out ways to make language models more truthful and more reliable. And this was a kind of product-shaped problem that also allowed us to do a ton of research into figuring out ways to make the models more reliable. Uh, so a lot of our work has involved um, designing systems that um, get models to like double check their answers, uh, involves getting humans in the loop. So getting humans to double check answers that models return. So we have at the moment, we've done a lot of refinement work over our um, infrastructure so that we're like above 90% accuracy on most answers. But 90% is still not 100, especially when you're dealing with science and medicine and things you need to be super sure of. So um, as the interface designer, one of my jobs is to design interfaces that um, encourage and enable and make it super easy for our users to go double check every single answer in uh, the results if they need to, like if they need that level of oh, um, really? oh, wow. yeah, scrutiny. So we point them to like the exact quote in the paper where the answer came from. They can easily go double check it. We're thinking of building in systems that like, you know, let them go through each paper one by one and mark it off as, as reviewed or not. Uh, like it's very much being designed with human vetting and humans in the loop as part of the system. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're telling me a language model could link to a credit source. It's just mm -hmm. that they generally don't. Uh, a language model alone cannot, but if you build a system that is larger than the language model, it can. We do a, a whole system called composition where we sort of do many small language model calls in combination with other kinds of programmatic um, functions and like traditional programming things where we sort of be like, okay, you know, read this paper, find all the paragraphs that mention whatever question the user's asking, um, you know, check for specific sentences that might be relevant to them, stack rank those sentences, return those sentences to them. So versus just asking for a generated answer, we're instead asking the models to do very different things, like find the most relevant sentence and show that to the user, um, which is a totally different process. Could I um, use this product to become the next Malcolm Gladwell? Like, you know, he takes like sociology papers, like, you know, uh, if you drink milk before breakfast, you are smarter you're, during the day. Like, could I like be like how to be better at tennis the, the Dave Rupert Gladwell way? Could I do that with your product? That is that? Hmm. hmm. Uh, it's interesting. Does the uh, world need that is maybe the yeah, bigger yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs> also, how, how rigorous do we think Malcolm Gladwell's scientific research is? I think you could probably 
probably do something with the tool that would, yeah, get you to, to corral a lot of the literature that you maybe wouldn't have manually done yourself and speed you up so that you could make maybe slightly um, wild, out there claims, making sweeping statements about the world. I think that you could probably do that. Yeah. Cool. Because I don't need to be good. I just need to be right. better than Malcolm better. Gladwell. And that's right. maybe a 50-50 bar. Yeah, it's not a really high bar sometimes. <laughs> I'll take the bottom row at the airport bookshelf. That's fine. Yeah, I don't that's need fine. to be I'm up there. Just, I just want to be in that airport, baby. That's good. Just yeah, want to be in there. In there. Um, but that's so you're asking for insight, though, which is great because that's what everybody's that's what everybody's after. That is appealing to me in some some part of me is that like could I could I give you a bunch of data and you give me actual insight? You know, every there was a we lived through years. Where everybody's like, you know what? We need some analytics on this website. Google Analytics is free slap that on there you know and it would be just vacuuming up data about who's visiting and what they're clicking on and how long they're there and all this stuff but it never delivered it never gave us any real insight we had uh, mm. eventually we had to we had to learn I don't know something you had to you had to have a question you had to be like oh, is this page more popular than this page or if I make this change do people stay on the website longer do I even want them to stay at the the website longer but I had to form those questions do you think we'll still have to be forming those questions or do you think insight can be delivered to us that's interesting I think I think we still have to ask good questions I think that's actually most of the skill of of using language models well is what we might call prompting right is the kind of the thing and prompting involves many things including like telling the model it's a very clever intelligent attractive model and so it should like answer you uh, with a with a correct answer which always improves the results um but also <laughs> it involves like asking the correct question um but your example of like getting insights about a website from like a whole bunch of raw data language models are actually poised to be quite useful at that exact thing, right? They're very good at sort of taking a fuzzy data space um, and then being able to answer our very specific questions about it. Um, it's probably still going to have hallucination problems. I mean, hallucination is built into language models as kind of almost a first-class citizen. Like we will never get rid of hallucination, but we can sort of tame it and control it with various techniques, like the kind we use at Elicit. Um, but it's still like they hallucinate less and less now that we've discovered more and more techniques to kind of rein it in. So I think something mm. like asking for these very specific insights is totally a thing it would be able to do quite soon or existing systems could do much better than like if you just hired some random human to do it for you. I don't know that they would perform better than a model on this kind of task. That's both very cool and, and <laughs> scary. Yeah, a little um, bit. I think if this maybe made made the made the smashing. You, I, I didn't. I wasn't at the conference. I didn't get to see the talk. But you wrote it up. You have a, a blog post of your latest presentation that was the, all kinds of stuff in there that I'd never heard of before. Apparently, there's this uh, like a mascot for language models of <laughs> this Lovecraft. Yeah, is that what, Shaga? Is that how you say it? Uh, Shagoth. I think that's that's how I pronounce it. But this might be a gif gif sort of debate yeah you described it as like an amoeba gray amoeba with eyeballs on it and stuff very um creepy sci-fi kind of looking thing but the point is is a metaphor right to think of a language model as squishy right and that thing clearly is squishy do i have that right yet? yeah so if yeah. i ask this squishy <laughs> thing i'm not going to get this like deterministic answer mm. like i might in a just test or something right like put in this and get this it's gonna happen that's a linear line through there i'm gonna get some squishy answer back 
I don't know why I, I, I feel like it, that's related to something we were just talking about, but <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. now lost the plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The Shoggoth character um, came out of the AI safety Twitter space. So there are a lot of people on Twitter who are very concerned about language models and generative AI in general, um, sort of developing very, very advanced in, uh, intelligence and reasoning capacities and, and, possibly in the future plotting against humans secretly and then murdering us all sort of in the night, as it were. Um, mm. And like somewhere between five to 30 years from now uh, is like most people's timelines, uh, which is quite quite short. Um, and one of the kind of popular memes that came up out of this community was, yeah, this, this like big, crazy, squishy creature with lots of eyeballs that's very scary. And the metaphor usually refers to sort of like we have trained the large language models with so much data. We essentially scraped the entire internet and fed them to these models, including like all of 4chan and probably all of 8chan and everything on Reddit and and sort like lots of legitimate stuff like Wikipedia and books, but also all the dark kind of scary corners of the internet. Um, and that's how it learned human language. So it probably has quite a scary warped understanding of what humanity is. And we have now trained these models to be very polite when we talk to them in chat GPT, but there's sort of this still like dark underlayer we don't know much about. And that's supposed to be this big, scary monster that we sort of try to tame and put very sort of like nice, happy faces on, but underneath could be quite nefarious. And okay. So I think that that's how I was kind of trying to connect it is that you, you can you know, type something into a model, perhaps prompt it, get something back. And that there's almost a, I don't know if you use the metaphor of a dial or something, but that's what I think of is that you can have it all the way to the left, like full squish, like just give me whatever, just, you know, be weird, write a poem, answer a joke, whatever. Or you can crank it the other way, which is some just kind of enforcing more structure or combing the results or something. And that they both have benefits. It's like there's kind of a nice zone in the middle of that that's not just full-blown weird and full-blown structured yeah yeah so like full-blown squish so like full-blown the model just saying whatever it would naturally say we don't even really have access to that version of that that's what's called a base model and that's something that only large companies like OpenAI or anthropic or google they'll mm. have a base model that like none of us have ever talked to which probably is quite like uh, unpleasant to talk to, frankly, and, and very weird and crazy and might not even make much sense to us. But they've trained it very well through reinforcement learning and through prompting to only say things that seem smart and intelligent and are in correct grammar and like are useful hmm. to us. Okay. Um, and so they've already applied some structure for us. And then when we interact with something like ChatGPT, we can apply even more structure by saying, you know, like only print out like the numbers one to 10. And most of the time, it's not going to print anything other than the numbers one to 10. We've like given it a very small boundary to sort of reply within. And so that's kind of turning the structure all the way up, right, to, to the full structure side. Um, or we could give it examples of only counting to 10 over and over and over, and we could guarantee it would never reply with anything but numbers one to 10. Mm. But, but sure, if you ask it something super open-ended or you just like typed a bunch of really random words into the chat GPT interface, you have no idea what it would give back. So that's a lot more squish. Right. And sometimes that's good, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't know, trust is all over the place on this, but one way to use it but not trust it in any way, and I'm just saying it meaning just any model, I mm -hmm. guess. I, I don't know, I feel weird saying it that way. Shook but off. That's who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that... Is that even if I have no trust in it, I might I might still ask it stuff just because I want to be amused or 
bust me out of some writer's block or I just got no ideas. Just help me out. There's no way I'm going to use what you give me verbatim, but but I, it might help me out of a bind kind of thing. And that's that can be awesome, right? Mm-hmm. I don't trust you to give me anything useful, but you might help me just slap my creativity engine started. Yeah, that's my favorite way to interact with models. And I think the way the vast majority of us should be relating to them right now is rubber ducks and and not sources of truth at all. They're genuinely, as you say, sounding partners, thinking partners. I do a lot of, um, I also use Whisper, which is the voice to text transcription, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. It's like the best voice to text transcription. And you can hook that up then to like a, a a language model generator and you can talk to your computer and have it sort of talk back to you in text. For like brainstorming out blog posts, that flow is really satisfying. Um, and that's very rubber ducky. Yeah. Don't listen to this, Tina. Tina, she's our <laughs> transcription person. Uh, that's your good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I love this. So one of the ways that you came up on this show is this is a number of episodes ago, but there was a... a you had a blog post that ended in <laughs> why I hate chatbots in a way mm. <laughs> that was kind of like maybe that's the least common denominator of, of ways that you could interact with the model. There's other ways to do it. And uh, right at the same time, I think Amelia Wattenberger had a similar kind of thought mm. and it just seemed to be in the water. And I, I had never thought about it, but it was really beautiful. You showed off this demo of a, a UI that required no prompting. Because there was already, to me, it seemed like there's already words on the page. It's like there's already a blog post or something. And then you had these like colors off to the right that that was like, take this sentence and I don't know, change the tone of it or give me different types of advice. I thought that was so clever because I'm like, yeah, I, not that I, I mean, I, I might be there with you. Like I hate having to write the prompt because I just feel underskilled at it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I'm getting the best value out of it. I'm like, can't you do smart things without me having to to learn this new language? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that example that you talked about was uh, I was brainstorming an idea for what I called, well, it depends how you pronounce this. I say daemons, but apparently demons is the correct way to say it, but it's spelled D-A-E. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, demons. Um, and this idea is like, uh, there are little characters that kind of live in your writing app and you have assigned them characters, like play devil's advocate, play cheerleader, play, you know, copy copy editor who just cares about grammar, um, play synthesizer, try to make my ideas, you know, more concise, um, you know, elaborator, you know, try Mm. to expand on my ideas. And each of these little characters is reading your text as you're writing it. And if they see something that they, you, they can improve or they can suggest upon based on that character, they will like suggest that you revise it. So as you mentioned, there's no prompting required from you in this interface. You're just writing and these kind of characters are ambiently in the background. I'm very interested in how language models can be ambient supporters in systems and not constantly like the only thing on the interface is you prompting this text box. It's like, I want to be doing other things and I want them to be subtly supporting me on very specific tasks and very specific helping um, actions without it being like I'm having to come up with a new prompt every single time because that's cognitive labor I don't want to do. I'm trying to do other things. <laughs> right. I mean, I, we got used to that a little bit with GitHub Copilot because we're not constantly prompting it. It's just helping us 
wherever we happen to be, whatever we happen to be doing, which is which is so cool. Is what what ha- is do I have it right that what happens behind the scenes then is if you're I don't know you've selected some paragraph or or something, and then you've clicked on elaborate. What it does behind the scenes would be like take your paragraph, put some quotes around it, and then send in a, a pre-constructed prompt that's like take this paragraph and elaborate on it, elaborate on it like a sophomore in college would, or <laughs> like you. The, there are you're still using prompts. It's just however you've programmed it that they're hidden. Exactly. So um, mm. I think a lot of. Um, my snarkiness in, in saying I, I hate chatbots or being critical of them is that I think at the moment developers and designers who are building these language model products or the early versions of them um, are trying to put all the cognitive load onto the user to figure out what to do with their product. Um, mm-hmm. Like they're not being opinionated enough because really prompts are something that we as the creators should be writing and crafting and perfecting and testing and like fine tuning on and making really, really good. And they're just like code. The user shouldn't have to write the code, like saying what their, their app should do. They should just be handed the app and it should be obvious what the app does and the app should do that thing really well. Um, and with, in this new kind of language model world where they're part of our build chain, um, we have to decide first of all, what the app, app actually does. It's not just an open text box. We're going to be like, okay, this thing's going to help you write in a certain way, or it's going to help you synthesize ideas in a certain way. Um, and we should hide the prompts from the users. I mean, there's a little bit of a debate around this. I mean, we could definitely move into a world where users get used to sort of, um, being able to edit different functions and they could see the prompt and maybe edit it themselves. But end mm. users shouldn't have to be prompting experts. Like, then you're just asking them to, you know, you want to give them control and an agency over how their tools work. But at the same time, are they really going to write a better prompt in like the five minutes they spend thinking about it than if you and your team spent a week perfecting this prompt and like training data on it and like right. really making sure it does the thing well. Right. Hmm. And is prompt, does prompt seem like the only way you're going to be able to ever ask one of these language models a, a question? Prompting seems here to stay, kind of. Yeah, pretty much. There are other, a few other kind of ways we can influence them. So I mentioned something called fine tuning, which is when you give them lots of example data and you tell them like, given this input, here's the ideal output. And so you can kind of fine tune the model to mm-hmm. respond in the way you would like it to. So um, you could feed in a bunch of like poorly written essays um, and then also give it in the training data, you know, it turning it those into like grammatically correct, you know, well-written intelligent essays. And it would learn, this is the kind of output the, that they want me to give. And then it'll perform better based on Ooh. that data. Is is fine tuning, th- this came out, we had Swix on the show a couple weeks ago, but. Oh yeah, is, <laughs> I just saw him the other day. <laughs> isn't he great? He's just fantastic human. But um, fine tuning, is that something I do like once or, or and then ooh, I have my own baby model, you know. Um, or is it something you do like every prompt? You, you're like every prompt, I'm sending this like expectation back. Or uh, it's something you don't do that often. It's not like you fine tune every single time um, a new prompt comes. Uh, a, new, a user interacts with the system. It's something you might like code, like update every now and again, but mostly like you fine tune it once. If it works, it works. Maybe later you get more training data and you fine tune it more, but um, more fine tuning doesn't necessarily, there's like diminishing returns. It doesn't need lead to like infinitely better answers. At some point you get, you've given it enough examples that it just like gets what you want. 
So if, I, I assume that's part, it sounds like you're doing more with illicit, but like if I was making Dave Rupert LLC was making an AI, you know, I would want to fine tune it to whatever my business is doing or CodePen's AI would be kind of fine tuned towards uh, code suggestions or cool effects or something. Yeah. Kind of CSS tricks or something big. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll mention that just cause I just had experience with it this week and it, it was an interesting UI that I guess did it both ways was the new Photoshop beta. Uh, I don't know who exactly and how access is delivered, but I happen to have creative and in cloud installed on my machine. So I just opened that and clicked their little beta apps thing and downloaded and it seemed to come down for free and I just popped it open and used it. And one of the tasks I wanted to do was um, to kind of uh, stretch out an image, the classic, like it was a picture of a hamburger and it was too tightly cropped and I wanted to make it about twice as big on all sides. And I knew specifically mentioned you're more into language models and not the image ones. But as far as interface design is, I thought this was interesting, is that it would you know, then uh, I, I stretched out the canvas, which was just nothing around the outside of the original image. And it has a generative fill button and you can just click it and it'll just do it. You don't have to say anything. It's just a button. But right below the button is a little input and it, it a lot. You can prompt it if you want. It's like optional prompting. And even after you've prompted it, it then it gives you tips and stuff because it takes so it takes, you know, 30 seconds or so for it to do what it needs to do. What a speaking of product design, it's taken that opportunity because it knows you're just staring at the, <laughs> at the bar <laughs> like, Hey, you know, cause I, what I typed in was like, please just extend the background normally or something, which is probably the worst prompt in the world because <laughs> what is normally, it probably has no idea what I mean, but I didn't know what else to type. So I typed that and it, it was like, you know, maybe you should have just typed nothing. It like gave me this little, little poke, you know, like not the best prompt, you know? <laughs> Uh, Use your education of, in action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. But I thought it was clever that you, you you could go either way. And it got me thinking, oh, I, I like that. It's like it's like the it's like a chat bot, but you don't have to use it. Yeah. I bet um I actually see I haven't seen much of what Adobe's doing, although I have heard like I used to be a huge like I was an illustrator, I worked in Adobe, like you know, Adobe Illustrator and Adobe Photoshop just constantly. But I haven't yeah. seen the tools in so long, but just because I've moved into such a different um space and way of working. But I hear they're doing really interesting things with like UI for generative images and, and editing and giving people control, like not just prompting into a text box to get an image, which seems so strange because like that's clearly not the right medium to make an image in is like describe the image in words is not how we make images. Um, so I, I really have been meaning to go look at what they've been doing because I hear that it's it's actually quite sophisticated or they're genuinely putting, you know, sincere effort and time into into developing. Yeah, it seems like it. the beta is pretty um, like UI forward with those mm. tools, probably on purpose. Like we know why you downloaded the beta, you know, like we're, <laughs> right. we're going to be pretty clear about that. Yeah. You also check out Maggie's dribble. You just, you clearly know what you're doing in Illustrator. Jeez. That's wow. It's been a while though. That's all quite old at this point. I I think I stopped. I still illustrate for my own essays and like notes, but um I stopped professionally illustrating like 4 or 5 years ago. But okay. I, it was it was really fun when I did it. Um and now it's strange to see all this the generative image um like models come out and I you know, it's not like I kind of go, oh, I'm, I'm glad I stopped, but I just go, 
oh my god, my job would have been so much easier if I had generative, generative image <laughs> stuff back then. I would have been so much faster. Even just generating reference images, I would spend so much time like taking photos of my hand in certain positions or like having to go get props and take photos of them for reference. I could have just prompted it in this day and age <laughs> unfortunately i can look scroll up a down your room and be like yeah i could like i know that it's handcrafted because you did it but uh it does look they look a little like they could have been generated these days our brains are already broken in that way yeah I, so a lot of the it's actually interesting a lot of the illustration work i did was for a company called egghead which my listeners might know they're a javascript education well developer education uh, company um and so a lot of it was sort of cover images for that. Um, and it was really interesting. Um, the team had taken um, a bunch of my existing illustrations and, and used, I think, Stable Diffusion, one of the open source image models, and tried to train it on my artwork to see if it could generate more. Uh, and, it, and it did. They sent me a bunch of the samples. And it's actually pretty decent. It like was able to mimic my style pretty well. There were still artifacts mm. I could tell. I didn't really wow. make it, but I was impressed. How, how, do, how does that make you feel? Uh, do, are you... Uh like that's the way the web works or are you like Mike Montero F you pay me like <laughs> how does that make um, you feel uh i was thrilled i mean i think i'm in a very different position to a lot of the artists and illustrators who are are really feeling emotionally negative about about what's unfolding right now um because it's not my livelihood anymore but uh, and I was just, I mostly get excited about capabilities. I mostly go, that is incredible that we managed to get a computer to like train on these images and generate more. I was always, I was always more enamored with the ideas than I was like rendering the images. Like I wanted the image to exist, but I didn't really want to spend 20 hours making it. So like I use Midjourney a lot mm. now just for fun, like a game. And it feels like the most addictive thing in the world. I love seeing the image just come to life and go, oh my God, I didn't have to paint that for like hundreds of hours. Like that's that's so tantalizing. It is satisfying. But I have a very different relationship to it. Mm. When, I, when I was worried, when I was dragging out those images in Photoshop, I was like, I just, it's so, it's, this is such a weird thing that I'm doing that it, it's not something that we're like, oh, this would have taken me 20 hours before I wouldn't have done it at all. Right. There's no way, <laughs> you know. So, and, and I feel like the same in Midjourney when I'm typing in stuff to to generate some images, and it's just giving me a smile or something. Mm -hmm. I, it's not. It's not that I would have hired an illustrator. It's just I wouldn't have done it at all. I yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I know. I'll, I'll try not to say because I'm so afraid of like. Well, I shouldn't be too afraid of like stepping on toes or I know it's a very hot topic right now. And lots of people are quite concerned about livelihoods and theft and like their work being taken. Right. Um, but but having having worked as an illustrator and having worked with so many companies where they wanted illustrations done, but didn't have the budget really to to get that many made or really couldn't even hire me to do the work just because it would take so long to make. Um I'm I'm kind of thrilled about what is about to be this explosion of like way more people being able to make visuals and put them on the web, use them to communicate, make their presentations look better, make them more engaging, be able to explain themselves visually. Like I think we've been very, very visually stunted as a culture because the web was so text first and the web became the medium for everything. And so the only way to communicate was always text first. And we... And images on the web are like really finicky and actually not that fine grained. Like SVGs, I, I know you're both SVG experts, but they're really hard to work with otherwise uh, if you're not an expert. 
it's just like, it wasn't a web first medium. And I'm really quite excited that it's so much easier to make really high quality images now for everyone. You don't have to train as an illustrator for years to now be able to make gorgeous, interesting, kind of evocative images and and explore communicating ideas and images. That's a very controversial statement because morally these these, a bit yeah yeah yeah. i get where you're coming from though um especially if it changes the whole it's like if you know i don't know if if it's there's twice as less demand for images because these things exist that's a problem but if there's 10x more images on the web well then maybe that demand comes right back because there's it's become it's changed the nature of things um, but how could you guess, you know, who knows what's, how it's going to, how it's going to pan out. Is, is mid journey, I haven't used it in a while. Is it still uh discord based where you <laughs> type the prompts into the, a discord channel? Yeah, it's still very, it feels very startup and scrappy. I mean, they have plenty of funding and they're building out their web app, but you are still prompting through discord, which feels so, yeah, it feels so like, uh, early days or something, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, this isn't even a real product, but. The technology itself, like the images it puts out are are just incredible. Like I have a bunch of favorite illustrators who are who are who are dead. So I'm not even, you know, stealing their livelihood. They're they're very much passed on, people from sort of the 17th and 1800s. Um, but I can prompt all kinds of things in their style and it gives me such a thrill. I'm just like, oh my gosh, they would never illustrate this. But I just get to play around with like their beautiful aesthetic uh and get it to just come up with crazy things. It's like the oh, best game cool. to me. Is it, but I wonder what you, so you, is that the thought you have when you use their discord is kind of like, oh, it's, this is, you know, it's just early days for them. That's, that's why they chose to do this or cause I've heard that sentiment, but cranked up even just like what is this amateur hour, you know, get out of here with the discord and the, what are you even doing? I thought this was a real company kind of thing all the way cranked to the other side be like, this is brilliant. It's meeting people where they are. It's a UI you get for free. It's like, it has a chat box built into it. And I'm a little closer to that side. Like I don't mind using it in this way. I think this is clever. They, they spend $0 a month on their homepage. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> I'm on the side of being incredibly impressed with how they have use the affordances of discord to make it possible to manipulate images. So like they have Mm. little like up, down, left, right arrows to say like, okay, we'll render the image more to the right or like zoom in out um, emoji to like zoom in. So you're like clicking emoji in these responses and you're like, wow, this is, a UI and a chatbot. Like I'm yeah. very impressed yeah. with the creativity. A UI that we probably already use to say, you know, that's where the shop talk show communication happens and all that. I, I don't know. I thought it was, thought it was clever. Maybe it can't last forever. You know, mm-hmm. is that you probably will reach a wider audience if you whatever, make an app, have a full blown website, et cetera. But it's kind of cool. I mostly wanted your take as a, you know, cause you're, you're an interaction designer. That's your main thing, right? Yeah. 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 And I'll say the social aspect was it's now the discord is quite overwhelming because goodness knows how many hundreds of thousands of people are in there just prompting all day. But um, mm-hmm. I got into the beta back in February of last year and when there were very few people in there and it was like the most fun collaborative game because we would see what everyone else was prompting and we would start to riff off each other. So you would see what someone else was playing with and you would start playing with it and you would go back and forth and it was the most addictive game for like, I didn't do anything else for like two weeks. Yeah, it's educational. (laughs) Yeah. To me, somehow my prompts end up so short, but all it takes is one stop in there to see this. Nobody does short prompts. They're they're Mm -mm. like 
you yeah, know, like books. They're, they're 40 words long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The longer, the yeah. better, really, because it yeah. has more to yeah. work with. <laughs> you just have to write gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful aesthetic, professional photography, octane render. You oh, just don't put forget every... high res or <laughs> whatever. High res, you know? 4K, yeah. 8K. It's, <laughs> it is quite funny, but it works. I think somebody from our Discord was taking quotes like of like from science fiction books, like, you know, Ooh. they landed on the planet Zargoth and it was steaming with lava or whatever. <laughs> and they said, sci-fi concept art, this quote that I highlighted from my Kindle and like it gave a pretty good one, like a pretty good image. And I'm, that's cool. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. They don't have the, no one has the time to like, well, I guess, I guess given infinite time, you have the time, but no one has a lot of time to like come up with this stuff. Um, you know. Yeah. Maybe that was your point, Maggie. If, if the web you think is t- typography only or, you know, words forward medium books is even yeah. talking about words forward. Well, okay. So not to, not to sour yeah. the mood, mm. but there is some ecological concerns. There was recently mm-hmm. a study that like, you know, five Google barred searches is like pouring a bottle of water on the ground. Um, like a 500 milliliter um, water bottle on the ground. So, I mean, does that impact any of your thinking around AI, like just the general energy use the um, or, or anything like that? Mm-hmm. So this is definitely a concern in the industry. It's funny, I've asked people who are like much higher up, kind of have been in this for a while, what their thoughts are on like... Um, you know, like the cost of, of using generative AI or developing it more, especially training the models, like enormous volumes of energy. It's one thing for us to be prompting on like small everyday tasks, but it's totally something different to train something at the scale of GPT-4 or GPT-5 or, or other kinds of models. Um, and the answer I've sometimes gotten is they're like, well, um, you know, once we develop the intelligence and capabilities of models, like in the future, it'll just like figure out how to solve a lot of energy problems for us. So this is like a self-fulfilling system. And I was like, well, that's a bit of a gamble that we don't know is definitely going to happen. So that's uh, a bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's like when my parents asked me, how are you going to make money at this computer thing? And it's like, I'll invent a robot that prints money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. very much that. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh, I think this is actually where the smaller models things comes in. Like um, a lot of the really large models, like it's really overkill to use GPT-4 for like small tasks, like asking it to like write you a little poem. You could probably run like an open source model like Llama locally on your laptop and do that same thing and not be sending like a request to OpenAI who's like running some huge server farm mm. and using a huge model to do it. There's much more, uh, it's more efficient to use smaller models. So there's a good chance that we'll just like improve at efficiency and learning what needs a big model and what needs a small model and save a lot of energy that way. But it's not a total solve. Like as more and more people use these the large language model products, they just are more energy intensive than normal compute. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, if if the larger one's always better, which is what I hear, you know, yeah. whatever, 70 billion tokens, that's better, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah, my bosses are always going to be like, I want the better one, you know, right. <laughs> like, you know, uh, better one, faster one, you know, or whatever, you know, but um, uh, yeah, it's a, it, it's an interesting problem. I, I don't believe because I don't, I don't believe this whole, we'll just solve the computer will solve it for it. I don't believe that <laughs> yeah. uh, because I feel like even if we have an advancement in GPUs or like the model figures out how to train itself better, 
uh, we're just going to do it more or, or we're just going yeah. <laughs> yeah. to find is... ways to <laughs> use that energy that we alloc- reallocated, you know? It's, is it called like the highway problem? Like you have a highway that's always busy. And so you add another lane to the highway. And so more people drive to work because the highway is mm. bigger. And then the highway is still always clogged no matter how many lanes you add to it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's exactly that experience. I'm very, so if we could dwell on the smaller model thing for a minute, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that does, that's, it seems juicy to me because mm-hmm. somehow the biggest models, you're like, oh, those are only the biggest companies and they're always going to get theirs. And that's a bummer, you know, that's a rich get richer thing. And I'll never be able to have a company that use it, that can compete on that level or yada, yada, right? But it's like, ooh, if the tech actually gets better and all I got to do is feed it, you know, one website worth of stuff and get cool answers out of it. Well, that's nice, you know? And I, I tried to get this out of Swix when we talked to him and I feel like I just didn't quite get it. Whereas I knew this, this one guy, this Luke Rabluski dude that somehow trained him out just on his own website. So that you could go ask it, be like, hey, what would Luke say about, you know, I don't know, the UX of login screens or, or something? And it, and it somehow would only answer stuff that seems like something that Luke would say. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Is it is it powered by his website, like, and all of ChatGPT? Or is it just a, you know? Yeah, it's going to have been trained um on maybe it would not as big as as chat gpt's model but it's going to have some some base training that taught it like how to put together words and sentences because it needs to know how to yeah. make a sentence yeah. and stuff right yeah i see i see so there's no a small model doesn't mean small like 50,000 words small it still means millions of yeah um but it's like um this is going to get into like you know uh, where i do the the hand wavy you know and then insert some technical details here but we've been finding tech some techniques to make the models more compressed or smaller like we can make the final output size smaller and the amount of compute it takes to like prompt that model smaller Mm. I definitely cannot speak to the technical details of that. That's like going to be some paper on archive that I don't totally have saved to my Zotero that I definitely haven't read that talks about like how we managed to make these efficiency and, and size um, improvements. But I do know that's happening at least. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. M- middle out compression. It seems to be, be cool. Like give me one that can just talk good and then yeah, I'll right. just layer my <laughs> crap on top of that. Exactly. So yeah. I did find and it fascinating how it's already so advanced. It's just so neat. Like if I ask, Luke's one, like, what's the best kind of cotton candy or something? It'll totally just be like, nope, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, which is what you want. Mm-hmm. No, that sounds perfect. Yeah, right. You, and that, yeah, I, you've had something to say about that before, too. Like, you want less. I mean, I guess the word is hallucination that you've already said, right? Which just means a wrong answer, pretty much. Mm-hmm. You just don't want it to just make up something. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had a, a good amount of success um, figuring out like architectures where you just t- you get the model where if it doesn't know the answer or it can't find the answer, it just says, I don't know the answer. We, we're actually, we can make models do that quite, not easily, but effectively at this point, we know how to do that. So mm. that is at least one saving grace is we can say, if you don't know the answer, don't lie. Mm. That's nice, which is what you don't want in mid-journey or, or whatever. Like in Photoshop, mm. if I stretch my image out and be like, hey, can you extend the background of this building? It better not just be like, no. <laughs> no, cannot. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you In your squish talk, which was, I love the term squish. That's awesome. Uh, but way to go. <laughs> um, but the, like, you, you said, you know, you have this example where you're like, what's one plus one? And 
open your eyes like two. Yeah. One plus one equals two. And then you're like, are you sure it isn't three? <laughs> and it's, and then it does that thing. It always does. It's like, oh yeah, I'm so sorry. But yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> think of something else. Of course it's three. Right. Yeah. So like, <laughs> how, how, yeah, how do we get it to just be like, ah, uh, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> or, or just, you know, like, God, right. you really confused me on this one, mm-hmm. Maggie. Great job. You know, how does it do that? How do we get to that point, you know? Yeah. Um, it's funny. On examples like that, if you ask or any of the big models that question now, if you if you do the what's one plus one, it tells you two, and then you say, wait, isn't it three? They all now say, no, it's still two. So like a lot of the oh, times okay. these examples get publicized and then, you know, they ship a new version of the model and they kind of go accommodate for these kind of bugs. Um, but you, they can't squish bugs forever, right? Like, I don't know, there'll, there'll always be things where we will trick models in certain ways or be able to do red teaming on them. So yeah, it's but it's the way they're designed, right? Is they just predict the most likely next word, you know, with a lot of caveats there that we've, you know, fine-tuned them on certain kinds of responses and certain kinds of ways of speaking. But that is what they're doing. And like most of the time, if you're in a conversation with someone and you say, wait, isn't that the wrong answer? They, they go, oh yeah, you're right. That is the wrong answer. Oh, I see. <laughs> they're, they're trying to be a good dinner partner exactly. or whatever. They're being polite. You've told yeah. them to be polite. You've told them to be not argumentative. We all learned that from like Microsoft's Bing debacle. I don't know if you guys saw when that right. chatbot came out. Yeah. Oh, Tay or, oh no, it was, I think it was one of the early Bings. Anyway, it went very rogue. It would just like say inappropriate things to users. It would fight with them. It would tell them they were bad users and that oh, it was yeah, a good thing. Was... So they hadn't find, you know, they hadn't prompted it well enough to say, don't be argumentative. Don't be mean. Don't accuse them of things. Don't, don't attack right. them. And they now have put all those in. So it's a very polite, accommodating model now. What, what methods do you have in place for testing this stuff? You know, like, like even on your examples of like summarize this or like, mm-hmm. how do you like, did it get, are you just saying like, if text content dot length is less than text content that like, you know, or is it something more like, you know, are you, is it just like, is it good? It, do you do any QA? Is it, is, yeah. yeah. How, how We call this evaluation. This is like an enormous part of the work. Like we have a, just evaluation team that is full time on this. And I think most wow. language model product companies do, um, where we have humans constantly testing the models, um, and then manually going through its answers and then being like, good, bad, good, bad, you know, it's kind of ranking it like out of 10, how good was this answer? You know, why was it that good? And then using that evaluation to then fine tune the next round of improvements or change the architecture to improve the output. Like this is, I think, uh, just an enormous amount of the work. I don't know if I want to say like 50% of like kind of the work that goes in at language model companies is evaluation and improvement of the architecture. That's daunting uh, for a small team. um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was kind of where I was going. It was like, like my boss, Hey, hey, AI's hot, baby. We got to put it in the app. What do we, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. what's my next step? What mm. do I just put a little chat widget? You know, do I, what's, or do some of this kind of refining UI that you have or, or, or what should I be looking to do? Right. It's, that's a very good question. Cause I definitely have been DM'd by people who say, this is literally what happened to them. You know, they're just like, Hey, my, our company is panicking about the AI thing. Like, should I put a chatbot in the corner? Uh, And I've told them it's not the easiest advice, but I'm like, no, you should go find the best product manager at your company and you should get them on your side and, and go get them to help you convince the boss that language models are not 
any different to any other okay they're slightly different but they're not like fundamentally different to like all of programming <laughs> it's like we have computers can do impressive things and we should think very carefully about what we want computers to do and why we want it to do them and like carefully design products in a strategic way based on what the market needs so like your users are not asking for like a chatbot but they might have needs that could be solved by language models that probably isn't a chatbot conversation, but it might be something like improved search on your docs. Maybe you could like integrate, you know, embeddings or something with, with language models to improve your search. Or maybe it could be some sort of like ambient helper that like directs you in the right way during onboarding. But it's, it's unlikely that it's a chatbot in the corner. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm. That, yes, it's unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You hear that, everybody? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I want I'm, I'm hoping these models can start punting it seems like the math one to me is like can't you just somehow recognize that somebody's asking you some math and just mm. punt on your your large language modelness for a minute and just and and ask the big math model yeah go back switch, to calculator switch to calculator mode yeah, yeah thankfully we can do this now there's a yeah. a new technique uh, sometimes called prompt chaining, or we call it composition. It elicit that that totally does this, or agents, where the the model like gets the request from the user, and it does like an observation step or a reflection step, where it goes like, "Huh, what is the best way to answer this question?" And then we give it a set of tools that it knows it has available, like search the web, calculate, like run Python script, that kind of thing. Picks the best tool for the job. It's very good at doing that, and then uses that tool to help answer the question. So it like has access to a bunch of external tools that make up for all its weaknesses. And actually these systems work great. Like there's a lot of promise in these. Yeah, that it gave me hope when OpenAI announced their one that's like, you listen, our model stops at this date, but you can like check this checkbox that enables the like go search the web mode or whatever. I'm yep. like, yeah, do that. Mm -hmm. That sounds good. But yeah, math mode seems like one of them, but it could be all, 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 all kinds of stuff different little models that are better at answering really specific things that uh, seems like it would otherwise get wrong in a, in a language model. Well, that's cool. I like the reflection mode. That's nice. Good, good naming opportunities here in, in AI land. Observe, reflect, uh, capture. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. We're it good. must be cool to work, be working for somewhere that has a clearly good, useful, monetizable idea. You know, like this, like drop a thousand PDFs onto us and we'll give you obviously useful output. That's great. You know, instead of <laughs> instead of like the rest of us, where we're like, how do we get AI into this thing? <laughs> you know, is there any money here or not? You know, to have a to like a really clear, cool idea to be working on. This. Yeah, I can take no credit for that. But our founders are some of the most thoughtful, intelligent people I've ever met, which is why I joined their company. Where like when they explained mm. kind of the vision to me, I was like, Wow, you are you are like two hundred steps ahead of the rest of us, and I will get on your like boat. Like, sure. <laughs> like, uh, man, this is maybe launching. We don't have time for this, but I, I do wonder, <laughs> like, how how do you do like sourcing of materials, right? Like, because not all PDFs are created equally. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, what if it's the first study on feeding lead to babies is from the eighteen hundreds? <laughs> you know, and like. It's not in. It's not OCRable or whatever. I guess is that something y'all deal with then? And yeah, we um. So the way we um pull papers in is from a service called Semantic Scholar, which is like a very popular large um 
database of academic papers. Uh, and they do a lot of the heavy lifting of sort of quality filtering. And then they have a great API that we just call. Um, and then we're able to do things like filter for citation count, um, you know, reputable journals, journal score. We at least make those visible to the user and allow them to sort of sort and filter by them, you know, old school mm -hmm. classic. We have a big table. You can do all the standard things to it. You know, no like crazy um, chatbot kind of paradigms here. Um, so that that kind of takes care of a lot of helping academics filter out like low quality papers or stuff. that's like not very valid. Very interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to trying Elicit on my goal to become the next Malcolm Gladwell. So oh, I like um, it. You should just train it on only Malcolm Gladwell. Top five <laughs> papers on getting good at tennis. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you can totally go ask that. <laughs> and then it will give me that and then I'll write a book ski. Great. We're done. <laughs> so we haven't well, quite implemented that workflow, but we will soon. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we managed to not even talk about websites at all, even though that's another specialty of Maggie's. You should check all that out at maggieappleton.com, including the incredible section. She has a bookshelf like you, Dave. Love bookshelves. Bookshelves. But Dave, you should maybe, this is a copyable idea of the anti-library, which is a section of, the <laughs> not of books that you, dislike but as maggie says books i like the idea of having read which is uh very <laughs> oh, that's nice. good i like not that. everybody has an anti-library but visit maggieappleton.com to enjoy that one uh uh is there any is this, should we, we we can't just pivot this whole thing into web tech but there's a <laughs> digital gardens you, you run a digital garden you don't call it a blog you don't call it a website you call it a digital garden on purpose that's wonderful why, why is it a digital garden is it just that sounds so cooler. It <laughs> does sound cooler. <laughs> uh, yeah. Apparently it became a buzzword. I, I was maybe implicated in making it a buzzword, but did not mean to. Um, it, the, the metaphor is you, you grow the content of your website slowly over time. So you are not publishing finished, polished, fancy blog posts. You are putting up like loose notes and later on you come back and like clean them up, add to them, you know, eventually kind of turn them into a more respectable piece of writing. But it takes all the pressure off being perfect and shipping everything kind of neat and tidy in the first round. And you just treat the whole thing like a, a slowly growing garden. It's mm, wonderful. It's one of the best sites. So I will I will give it that accolade for sure. So great job. We appreciate it. You would not have picked it as a Next.js MDX site. That was a surprise to me looking at the call. <laughs> it is colophon. It is indeed. Over engineered. I will I will not <laughs> I will not claim that I have done this site efficiently or with the correct technologies. I did them with the ones I knew how to use, which I, I really wish was like something cool like Svelte, but was sadly React and Next and like super overstuffed. <laughs> Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, hey, hey, we can't always. <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely got myself into a situation, unmaintainable situation with the old blog. So that's uh, <laughs> well, sometimes it's the best thing. So, uh, all right. Well, we should probably cap it here. Uh, Maggie, thank you so much for coming on the show. For people who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Oh, um, I'm, I'm not a money taker, but uh, I guess I'm just an attention taker. Uh, MaggieAppleton.com, I guess, is, is like the best spot. Uh, I still am on what I'm going to call Twitter, but some other people call other things. Um, uh, my handle's at Mappleton's, like M-Appleton-S. 
Uh, I still use it, even though it's morally questionable at this point. But um, yeah, I'm always happy to chat to people or, or DM me if you have questions or things you want to chat about. But um, no money needed. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. And thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast of choice. Be sure to start our favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. And follow us on X or Twitter or Mastodon. Uh, I have credentials again, so I can tweet there. And then um, head over to uh, uh, join the Discord. Discord. Patreon.com slash Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Mm. Chopdoctor.com. <laughs>